Welcome to Buildings and Beyond. The podcast that explores how we can create a more sustainable built environment. By focusing on efficiency, accessibility, and health. I'm Rob Aldrich. And I'm Kelly Westby. Sarah Nugent helps architects, owners, developers, and building management staff implement healthy, sustainable, and high-performance building strategies on their new construction projects. She has experience with Lead Well and Fit Well rating systems, all of which we reference throughout our discussion today. She works on projects from high-rise residential to commercial offices, as well as various other space types, including firehouses and museums. Sarah and I have spoken a few times over the past 18 months about how we make sure that the discussion about health in buildings includes, but is not limited to viral transmission. As we increase office presence this summer and into the fall, can we encourage everyone to think about health holistically? So in this episode, we get into a broad overview of healthy building concepts and the programs that promote them. To start out, Sarah lays the groundwork for what these elements are. So when you take a step back for all of the different kind of toolkits within healthy building certifications, that's, you know, my background is in certification programs, be it LEED, WELL, FITWELL, you know, all of these different rating systems, they all kind of focus on kind of their foundations of healthy building, right? That's also part of um, uh, public health schools uh, guidelines, you know, the Harvard uh, School of Public Health, for example, has nine foundations of healthy buildings, air quality and ventilation, kind of, again, main foundations, main uh, backbones, thermal health, moisture, dust and pest, safety and security, water quality, noise, and lighting and views. If you already feel overwhelmed, it's okay. You're not alone. Sarah highlighted some of the ways the industry has progressed over the last few years. In the beginning of LEED version four, people were really nervous about how the material categories, the material category is changing. You might remember that yeah. where, where all of the building product disclosure and optimization credits, you know, instead of you looking at recycled content, they looked at these, uh, these um, disclosure credits and we were really nervous about them. We just didn't really see, we didn't know the market wasn't there yet. We just really weren't sure. And now looking back, those credits, like those related to disclosures, which can be both environmental disclosures or health disclosures, it's ubiquitous. It's if if you aren't disclosing, you're not on par with your with your competitors. Yeah. Interesting. Um, in terms we, of the materials. In terms of the, the material disclosures. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. Right. So say for example, um, Sherwin Williams has every paint has disclosures, every single paint in their entire line. Right. Interesting. So it's, it's mainstream manufacturers that are doing these things that we just didn't know if they would catch up and, and they really have. Um, and so that's looking back, we were very nervous in the beginning yeah. of the Lead version four, because it was just such a wholesale change. And that's actually been something that all of our projects succeed in just by, you know, being a little thoughtful, of course, like during specification period, but yeah, all of, you know, and, and I think that that really is the, the mainstream coming into our sector, right? Disclosures and um, like transparency of information. Exactly. Around. People yeah, want to know what's going in their building. They want, you know, and I, th I do think some of that has to do, you might remember a few years ago when that, like there was that rumor about like Chinese created gypsum board that had mm -hmm. formaldehyde in it. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I do think that there was a big shift in 
the manufacturer's perspective because of that. I do. Mm, I really yeah. do. Yeah. And, of course, the global pandemic. Sarah and I talked about the questions that have been on the general population's mind and in your local news stories, like... The air changes per hour in an MTA train car. The general population now has a vocabulary around ventilation and filtration and MERV-13, and can at least ask about the indoor air quality in their children's schools or in their offices. And this knowledge is making a difference. So I, I had recently saw a statistic that Fitwell's increase in registrations was like over 200% in the past 12 months. Yeah, they've really wow. skyrocketed in terms of their of their um, interest in, in people registering projects, which is, you know, excellent. And again, they're the, the Center for Active Design uh, oversees the Fitwell program, but it was created with the GSA and the CDC. And of course, all of these programs are responding directly to this heightened awareness. All the, these major programs, Lead Well and Fit Well, created response programs to COVID. So mm-hmm. they all came out with ways in which buildings could uh, react. Because at the time, there wasn't really great federal guidance. So they they said, you know, these are the strategies, like the 20 strategies we would recommend that you implement and that you might have seen the Lady Gaga advertisements for the well-built health safety rating. Yeah, so that's that program. So for, for re-entry, you know, going back into the building, you know, saying that you've been third-party verified that your building, you know, implemented these strategies. So what we're asking the audience today and the industry is to consider how can we build on this momentum, the pull of early adopters and the increased knowledge of the general public to take a holistic approach to building health. Sarah explains what this would look like in an ideal world. So my my like pie in the sky, perfect project would be when we, you know, it's concept design or schematic design, you know, bring us on as early as possible. And we talk about all these different health metrics or all these different, you know, alongside the environmental and energy and energy sustainability metrics, right? That's my absolute, you know, that would be like the perfect (laughs) little cherry project, right? Because they shouldn't be afterthoughts because it shouldn't be when the building is getting turned over that you start thinking about how to implement these strategies, right? It should be when you are kicking off your project, how are the people who are using this building going to feel, Right. How are they actually going to be experiencing the building? But, of course, the large majority of existing buildings or new construction projects aren't starting there. They're sort of minimally minimally code compliant, which is actually, you can be less than code compliant because it's whatever somebody actually enforces in the field, right? Yes, right, yeah. uh, So whatever is enforced in the field, that kind of minimally code compliant, and that's like the standard building. Yes. And so the question is, is that what tenants are going to be asking for exactly. in this future? Right. And especially kind of in that office space right now, like there are risks associated with holding an office po- portfolio right now. And how are you setting yourselves apart from right. your competition? It's a great point because, you know, as reentry starts happening, I mean, our New York City office is talking about going back for the first time in June, right? Like we've been out of the office since March of 2020. Yeah, phase one, who knows how many people, but right, like the, so that the future of the, of the office is definitely something that's on everyone's radar. What 
how dense, right? Like how dense an office is going to be, what the ventilation rates and filtration rates of that space will be. I mean, I do hope that post-COVID, some of these strategies or most of these strategies are still maintained, right? And so I asked Sarah about where people are trying to get started and where should they get started? People are often looking for a checklist, yes. right? And yeah. and in some ways we've talked about, you know, we've, we've talked about before, uh, people try to look for an equity checklist and then they're like, okay, I did the equity checklist, so now I'm equitable. And then they put that aside and then they go on with their lives, which is not really working. And nor, similarly, the point, nor the point yeah. of those checklists, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so in what ways do you think the checklist style mm. is working for health and wellness? And, and in what ways do you think um, some clients maybe are missing something sure. because they want it to be too prescriptive? Or or is that actually the way to go about it for, for health? I, I honestly think that it's the way to go about it. I do. Mm. I do. Because as we've, as we've discussed, there are so many different elements of health, right? Yeah. And so again, like for so long, we were really focused on just ventilation or just filtration, but there's so much more, right? But I think it can be overwhelming. Similarly with when LEAD was first created, right? Like it was overwhelming. People didn't really know where to begin. So the checklist allows, or these you know, checklist-based programs allow you to, to at least start somewhere, right? doesn't matter yeah. exactly where, but at least you're getting your feet wet. So that's how, that's how I see it. And again, like you don't, you would never need to get certified, but it allows you to, to say, okay, well, what are we even doing? You know, like, yeah. What are we actually even implementing in our building? We don't necessarily need to go through the whole process, but, you know, are we even responding to this topic, you know, of safety and security? Like, what are we doing for an emergency situation, right? Right. Like, or do we even have a Legionnaire's plan, you know, for our for our water systems? We, they might not, right? So that's, that's also, that's a precondition for the well program is to have a Legionnaire's safety plan. So it's things to, you know, to, to really prevent the transmission from the, in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that that is definitely a, why it's a great place to start. Yeah, that's a good point. Not everybody has 30 years to do the research themselves. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, <laughs> and like, so say, say like lead too. like they, they lean on ASHRAE and they lean on the AP, right. EPA and all of these other, other, um, organizations, organ, yeah, other organizations and institutions to, to do the research and you call from those institutions, right. And then it's just a toolkit in your toolbox. That's, that's how I think of all of the all of the systems yeah that's great so uh, you've referenced all of them in this but give us kind of the basic overview kind of each one sure why you might push a client in one direction versus another or uh, any other things you think people should consider yeah um so again with the background of lead for new construction commercial in mind not mm -hmm. residential or anything like that so i would still say that lead is the best way to to start your foray into any of this because mm. it does touch upon all of them in at least uh, an introductory way and then you can get deeper, right? So you can still have the sustainability aspects with energy and water reduction and things of that nature, transportation, while um, ensuring that your ventilation is designed correctly, you have the right filtration and your, um, you know, if you were to pursue the, the low emitting material categories, um, then you would be able to, you know, have that healthier aspect, right? To not bring in potential carcinogenic materials. Um, so that's, you know, just any lead program will still have all of those parameters. Um, with the FitWell program, <clears throat> I would say because it is federally created, because it's connected with the CDC, it is 
a, a great way for people who are really interested in health, but might not have the upfront capital to install a lot of like more technically or technologically connected um, uh, items. So, you know, just like the barrier to entry of Fitwell, mm-hmm. I would say is lower. Um, it still has many, again, these like these 12, most of the, there's different versions of Fitwell based on, you know, your building typology or your community, things of that nature. Um, so there's still 12 categories related to health uh, based on these seven health impact categories. Um, so you're still getting a good holistic view of health, but I would say in terms of implementation, it you can um, use it for a new construction project or an existing project, but I think it was kind of had existing buildings in mind when it was created. You know, you could implement it with policies and procedures, things of that nature, rather than having to overhaul like your air handler or things like that. Yeah. And then I would say the well building standard is pretty technically rigorous in terms of um, water quality, air quality testing. Um, There's, I want to say 180 points that you can choose from. There's, you know, they also have, I believe, 12 categories of, of uh, yeah, it's um, air, water, nourishment, light, movement, thermal comfort, sound, materials, mind, community. So it's a lot, you know, it's very robust. Yeah. Um, and so, but and they're that, more testing based, right? Correct, you have correct. to actually, you know, it's not enough testing. to make a plan. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. It's not just, you know, I said that I did it. Here's my documentation the GBCI will go in and do the performance testing or, you know, you have a testing and go in and do the testing to verify that you actually installed low VOC products or that your air quality is actually, you know, the PM 2.5s are actually below this specific level, right? Like they will go in and verify all of that. And that is kind of their proof in the pudding, right? That they, Mm -hmm. that's why they, you know, are so strict, but they also just have a lot of like features related to monitoring, you know, like having Mm -hmm. permanent air quality monitors or permanent water quality monitors, um, other credits related to, um, you know, like having your air handler turn off when your windows are open, things that, right, like that are more expensive, you know, just it's going to be pricey, but you know that it's going to be a healthier building if you do implement them. So I would say it's, it's definitely a, it's a commitment. Yeah. It's an investment. It's definitely an investment. Yeah. (laughs) So what do you think, what of the healthy building standards that that you think is important is really lagging behind? Like, what do you think people haven't really caught on or really isn't, uh, isn't considered like normal construction practice right now that, Mm. that probably should be? Interesting question. That should be. I guess, you know what, maybe sound, acoustics. Mm. I'm going to say it's acoustics because they're are there's you know all lead well fit well they all have items related to acoustics but it's yeah i would say that's not mainstream at all yeah Mm, Um, yeah you know maybe you know maybe between um between units and like the corridor um but you know like in old buildings i'm sure we've all lived in an old building and like you're you're the (laughs) the unit above you is you know (laughs) bowling they're bowling or something up there um yeah and so i think that that's definitely an afterthought yeah yeah and we've and i know you guys have seen how or you know say the passive house team how like triple pane windows yes they're great for thermal performance and the envelope performance but uh, a co-benefit for sure is the acoustical performance of your triple pane window right 
Yeah. And it's interesting because I've seen spaces where they are required to have the uh, higher performance windows because it's over a train or something like that. I had one one building that I lived in in the city that had it was amazing how the how good the uh, windows worked in terms of sound attenuation. It's yeah. wild. Yeah. 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 I was in um one of the um, newer NYU Langone hospital mm. buildings a few years ago, and there was a helipad outside and they have triple pane windows and you couldn't hear the helipad at all. Oh, wow. Which yeah. is, it was really impressive. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah so but- I would say that. Yeah. Or nourishment too. I mean, nourishment, but how, how could that be in a construct? Like that's not really construction, right? So that right, would be more of right. a, you know, a turnover. Yeah. I would say those two. Yeah, and acoustics is interesting. It came up at a, I went to a couple of years ago, maybe now, but just a commissioning training on acoustical commissioning. So mm. how are we testing um, spaces okay. to make sure that they're meeting acoustical sure. requirements, especially if you're in a performing arts space or oh, a great. museum or a, um, you know, a, even a hotel, a conference center. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So I think it, there are certain scenarios in which we, realize it's important but there are still are you know designs that aren't thought holistically and that's still based on what the program of that space is you know if it's a right. performance space right it's, yeah i think it in a in a commercial application let's say you know going back to um an office building or to a, a residential building i just don't know if it's um as ubiquitous yeah yeah absolutely yeah or might you know might the nrc reading might get specified but does how does it actually get implemented and and tested that's interesting about commission acoustical commissioning okay yeah um yeah you know i'm always a fan of making sure that it actually gets installed properly it's one thing to show the arrow on the drawings that say the air is moving this way but it's quite another to make sure it's actually being installed right yes right (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, which is why I like, I definitely like the idea of well, in terms of making sure that things are getting tested, but of course it's a risk for, uh, people, you know, it's one thing to follow a a item and say that I, you know, I, I installed this specific thing, but it's another thing to install and hope for the best. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah, exactly. And the acoustical is another topic that another item that gets tested and, and well, that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. What is the main thing that you want the audience to take away from this discussion? Mm. I would say one thing we didn't discuss really is this mm. in, this intersection of I mean, we sort of touched a little upon it, but the intersection of health, wellness, sustainability. Yeah. Um, you know, the triple bottom line, right? People planet profit or ESG that can be kind of seen in those different ways. I would say what I would want folks to get out of this conversation is about not having health be an afterthought. It's really mm. implementing healthy strategies at the get-go and not not reactive, being proactive about about that, right? Like you said, with the um, the well health safety rating or the, the Fitwell viral response module, they were responding to an event, right? Like it's a reaction to a need. But the need we know is people get sick right people or people are stressed out and people need that mental support so i would say um for every either building operator or developer you know thinking about every building from a health and wellness perspective in alignment with sustainability i mean that would be that'd be the dream 
In the episode today, we took a high-level approach to the discussion. So I encourage you to take a look at all the great content in the show notes at swinter.com slash podcasts. For example, Sarah brought up noise as something that might be a lingering behind. But according to Harvard School of Public Health's Nine Foundations of a Healthy Building, which is a curation of prior research, they outline some alarming connections between noise and health. Noise exposure can exacerbate the risk of cardiovascular disease. Noise in a classroom from outdoor sources can impair children's speech, concentration, and reading comprehension. And in a recent survey of 1,200 senior executives and non-executive employees, they found that 53% of employees report that ambient noise reduces their work satisfaction and productivity. And don't forget to check out our other episodes where we dive in deeper on healthy building materials, moisture with Christoph Irwin, kitchen ventilation with Ian Walker, and of course, Maureen Molly's episode, Our Buildings, Our Health. Buildings and Beyond is brought to you by Stephen Winter Associates. We believe our world is not as sustainable, healthy, safe, equitable, or inclusive as it needs to be. We continually strive to develop and implement innovative solutions to improve the built environment. If you want to join us in our mission, please visit swinter.com careers. We are always looking for new employees. A big shout out to our production team, Jade Alvarez, Dylan Martello, Alex Mirabile, Heather Breslin, and my co-host, Rob Aldridge. We thank you for listening, and we will see you next time.